blessings. And this morning, I want you to join me in opening up your Bible to Genesis chapter 2. We're going back, really, to the creation story because I want us to be able to see something this morning as part of our makeup, as part of our DNA, if you will, the way um, the Creator created us, the way the Creator formed us, and what, in His infinite knowledge, when He formed us, when He made man, what He put in us, Uh, that has given us such a desire to be able to connect um, and have fellowship and a desire to have fellowship um, with others. And I want you to look with me for a moment in chapter 2. Look at verse 15 with me, please. It says in Genesis 2.15, Then the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Let me read verse 18 one more time. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. You know, something that I find interesting in Genesis chapter 2, especially in verse number 18, is that we find a new idea being introduced into the Garden of Eden. If you think about it, everything up to the point of chapter 2, verse 18, everything from Genesis 1-1 all the way down to Genesis 2-17, those two chapters up to our text this morning, everything has been good. If you think about it, when God created all of the heavens, He saw that it was good. When He created uh, the, the oceans and the mountains, He saw that it was good. When He created the flowers and the plants, He saw that it was good. When He created the animals, He saw that it was good. When He created man... Separate from the animals, the pinnacle of his creation, when he created man, God no longer describes his creation as being good, but at the creation of man, he then describes his creation as being very good. But something happens. In chapter 2, verse 18, we're introduced to a new idea. And now, everything before that was good, the creation was good, the the heavens were good, the plants were good, all of the ordered structure that God put in place was good, and man was very good. And then all of a sudden, we get introduced to something. God Himself says, it is not good. God introduces this idea of something being not good, which runs in contrast to everything that we've seen so far in Genesis. And here's what God says is not good. He says it is not good that man should be alone. Now, I understand this morning, please understand, that in context, in the perfect context in which God is speaking, we have to realize that he's talking about making a helpmate for him. He is ultimately talking about the importance and the necessity of creating for Adam, Eve, and giving him that helper that is comparable to him, which is a a term of honor, actually. So we understand that in the perfect sense, 
God is talking about it is not good that man should be alone, so I'm going to make this helper comparable to him. But beyond that, beyond a lesson of marriage, beyond a lesson of man and woman, this tells us something. That God, beyond this, this, this recognition that Adam needed a companion, it tells us something deeper. Peel back some of the layers of that with me for a moment and look about what that statement tells us about man. Now, not just that God knew that he needed a specific companion, but that God made, God created, God placed within Adam this desire to interact. He placed within Adam this desire to socialize. He placed within Adam this desire to connect with someone else. When God says, it is not good that man should be alone. Obviously, Adam was not alone. Adam had all of these animals that he would that would come to him and that he would name them and he would order them uh, that that was he was not alone in the sense that there were other heartbeats around him. So when God is saying it's not good that man should be alone, he's saying Adam needs someone else. Adam needs human companionship. And if you think about it, We also, within each one of us, that's not just in Adam's DNA, that's in each one of us, that we have that need, that desire on some level to be able to connect. It's been said that we have three basic core needs. Three basic core needs within us. We have the need to believe. We have the need to belong. And we have the need to become. Three basic needs that seem to inhabit each one of us as God's creation as humans is that we have within us a need to believe, a need to become, and a need to belong. It should not be any surprise. It should not be any surprise that when God looked over all of his creation and he began, he chooses to make the, the, the pinnacle of his creation man who is made in his image and he places him there in the garden and he makes this statement that man is not It's not good for man to be alone because God placed within Adam, God placed within his creation, that desire to fellowship, to connect, to socialize. God has created us to be social, connecting, fellowshipping beings. When I, if you think about something, God did not just create us to connect with other people. He didn't just put within Adam this desire to connect with another human companion. And He didn't just place within us a desire to connect with other people. But God also, beyond all of those other desires, I believe, has placed within each one of us a desire to connect with Him. He made us so that we could fellowship with Him and that we could connect with God and that we could have communion with Him and that we could walk with Him. That's what God desires from our life is this connection, is this true, intimate relationship with Him. It's wonderful, isn't it? That you and I have chosen today to come in here and to worship a relational God who wants to know us And all throughout the scriptures has done his very best to provide for us an opportunity to know him. 
God has never been in the business of hiding himself. He's actually always been in the business of revealing himself, showing his creation, showing man his love for us and drawing us to a relationship with him. Let me tell you something. These three weeks to this Sunday, next Sunday and the Sunday after, we're going to be investigating the importance of small groups and and the importance of why Christian community is so important to the life of the believer. And, And as we discuss this, if you think about something, if God, if it is true that God has placed within us, has created us with a desire to fellowship with other people because we are social, and has placed within us a need to fellowship with God, which means we are spiritual. If God has placed within us both a spiritual and a social desire to connect, then there really ought to be no greater music to our ears than these two words. Christian fellowship. If you think about it, if God has engineered us to know Him, uh, uh, to know God spiritually, relationally, and has placed that desire within us, and has also engineered us to be in relationship and to connect with other people socially, then there really shouldn't be any greater word to our ears if you think about it, and something that should be so desirable among us than the words Christian fellowship. Because it in turn, that, those two words really grab at the heart of how we were engineered relationally. God created us. God created us to connect. Because we are social. He made us have that desire to be able to connect and to reach out and to touch and to interact with other people. The animals would not do it for Adam. Fellowshipping, I mean, pets are great, but they're not people. Don't you love it when when we, what's that called, anthropomorphism? Is that right? Where we make our animals... And, and, and put on our animals human characteristics? I just, all right, let's go to point two. I don't know, if you've been following lately closely, you'll notice that usually it's somewhere between point one and point two, we get out there. And sometimes before, and, and I find myself always saying, well, let's get back to point two. And I use point two as the way to kind of draw everybody back from our little chasing of rabbits. Look look at number two. Look at number two. We're not just social, but if you look at what God did when he created Eve, it tells us that we are unique. When God said it is not good that man should be alone, I will make a helper suitable to him. When he created Eve, he did not create another man. When he created Eve, he created somebody that was different and that complemented the man. He created someone who would help him and would be a part of him. And if you think about it, what this tells me, when God created man and then he created woman who is different from him, what God is saying is, I know that man is unique. I know that the way I have wired him and structured him and ordered him, I know that he is this way, and I want to make this other being that is going to be different than him. Now, there's, you don't need me to go on and on this morning about how men and women are different. Let me extrapolate this out for a moment. Let's carry this on out to a, a larger conclusion. That Adam and Eve, Adam was not just unique, thus making Eve also unique. 
But I believe, just as we studied the Sanctity of Life Sunday last week, and we looked at Psalm 139, I believe that each one of us is unique. Each one of us is an incredible individual. You already know that each one of our fingerprints are different. Each one of our DNA structures are different. There, there are no two that are alike. Now, I know some of you are thinking identical twins. We got into a conversation about identical twins, but let's just skip the, old, the splitting of the egg for a moment. And just sit for a second on the idea that we are all different. We're all unique. You know what's funny is if you think about our uniqueness, if you think about our individual individuality, if you will, when you think about that, that might be some of, that might be a good thing and a bad thing when we're dealing with fellowship. How many of you like being around people that are not like you? Go ahead and raise your hand. Both of you. Go ahead and, and, and raise your hand. For the most part, we don't like being around people that are not like us. How many of you like being around people like you? How many of you are just going to vote present this morning? Yeah. It can be both a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your preference. But here's the interesting thing. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, and you may want to jot these down, in Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, both 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians 4 tell us something about the way God has done Christian fellowship. The Bible tells us in both of those chapters that God has made us and gifted us differently than other people. That I come into God's family as a believer and being gifted by the Holy Spirit, which each believer is gifted, I'm gifted differently than some other people. And I have different talents and I have different likes and different backgrounds. I have a different genetic structure. I have a different background. I am a unique individual and some of my strengths and some of my giftedness from the Holy Spirit of God is not always going to be what this person has. And the great thing about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4 is it says this, that God takes all of those different parts, all of those different people, and He brings them together. And He uses them to form the body. Actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, eyes, mouth, nose, ears, feet, and hands are all used to describe a believer's role in the body of Christ. You see, I believe that God, as demonstrated in the Garden of Eden when He created man, and then He said it is not good that man should be alone. He saw man's yearning. He saw Adam's desire to be able to connect on a very real level with someone else. No doubt as he's, as he's naming all of the animals and he's out there working with them and he sees male and female come here and male and female there and, and the male and female here, no doubt Adam had to think, hey, where's my female? Hey, where's my other half? And God recognized that longing and says it's not good, so he created him. Social, and it's evident. But God also created him unique. And God created you unique. You know when it comes down to it? 
one of the great things about Christian fellowship, one of the great things about Christian community really is the diversity. You see, as the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that if all of us were the hands, where would the feet be? If all of us were the eyes, where would the ears be? And when you and I come into Christian community and recognize our different gifts and recognize our individuality and the distinction in which God made us, we have the ability to connect with a larger group of people. We have the ability to connect with a larger body in which God has created us to fit right into. He didn't just create us to be social. He created us unique. He created us as amazing individuals, each of us different, each of us talented and gifted different, each of us with different backgrounds and experiences, each of us different for the purpose of being able to come together to form a body of Christ in order to form a functioning, purposeful body of Christ. I want to show you this third third point for a moment. We are not just social and we are not just unique. But we have needs. We have needs. Various different types of needs that are spoken of in the Bible. One of the the types of needs, obviously, that Adam had was definitely companionship. Adam had that desire placed within him. It was ordered in his structure to desire someone else to have that connection with, and, and he did. But if you think about it, I, I want just to turn your Bibles for a moment um, to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And I know we don't normally do that, and, and I normally don't give you kind of a, a difficult passage to find. But if you've got your Bible, just hop them over uh, to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I want to read a few verses to you out of chapter 4. And if you're not going to flip your Bible there, just listen to me then. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This need that we have as, as, as people in order to connect goes beyond even just a, 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 a relational desire. It actually says that there are some very practical reasons for why we would be able to connect together. I love what some of these videos you're going to see. Uh, some of them, the, the, the one that's going to play next week and the one that's going to play the third and final week. What you find, and Johnny even touched on this in his video, what you find is that some of that small group community that you find when times are going tough, And many of you coming out of last year had some very difficult times. 
And when you come out of the, and you're in the middle of those difficult times, you walk into this small group, you walk into this little fellowship, and you've got people that are all around you that are there to comfort you and to strengthen you and to grab you by the arm and to walk through life with you. You have a support structure in those small groups. And that's one of the things that Ecclesiastes is speaking of. And if one falls down, he's got a friend there to help him up. If one's cold, two can stay warm together. If, if one is in danger, two can stand against the person rather than one trying to fight together. You've got protection. You've got warmth. You've got help. And you've got security in other people. God created us social. Not just because of a relational desire to be able to connect, but because ultimately it's good for us. He created us as social beings so that when we know Him, we can be fit together to form the body and to serve in a very purposeful, functional way to do His work on the earth. But there's another reason. There's one other reason, I believe, why God created us the way He did. And really, if you think about it, there's one need that is beyond our physical needs. It really supersedes our emotional need. And I believe that God created me and created you as social beings because God in His infinite wisdom knew that Adam and Eve were going to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That they were going to yield to the temptation that the tempter brought in the garden. He knew that as soon as their teeth went through the flesh of that fruit, that at that very moment, Adam and Eve would be separated from Him. He knew that every offspring of Adam and Eve, which is every one of us, would also have that same sin nature and would also be separated from Him. And guys, here's the good news. God did not just put within Adam and within you and within I a desire to connect with other people because it's good for us. I believe He did not just create us as social beings so we could connect with other people on a relational level. I believe God placed within each one of us in our DNA uh, made us social, spiritual beings so that we could someday see our need to connect with Him. I believe that what God put within Adam and Eve was the recognition that you in yourself are not complete. That you are not able to meet, especially, especially. Look, He makes Eve to be a helper to Him. The Holy Spirit is referred to in the Gospel of John as our helper. I believe God created us as social, spiritual beings so that we could recognize our need of Him. Say, God, I know that I can't do this on my own. 
And I'm not just talking about life. When life gets difficult and we need, we need some strength or we need a strong foundation to stand on, I'm saying when we come to that place in our life where we say, God, I have sinned, I have missed the mark of Your standard of holiness, when you and I are confronted with the gospel and the righteous standard of God's moral requirements, and when you and I are faced with that and we say, God, I can't do it, God, I am unable to meet these needs myself. I need to connect with you. God, I need to have you as my personal Lord and Savior. Jesus touched on that very thing. Jesus touched on that very thing in that He came to earth to live as a man and to dwell among us shows His desire to connect with us. He lived a human life and died a human death to better to connect with us. He opened up His arms to connect with us. He uses language like love to connect with us. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of spirit. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come and connect with me. You see, I can't help but think that in everything God designed, the enemy seeks to distort. In everything God has designed, the enemy seeks to distort. And I can't help but think that just as God has designed us to be social, spiritual beings, I believe that there are times when we can get that wrong. When we can get that order misplaced. And knowing that God has created us as social beings, I know that there are times where we can elevate earthly relationships and try to get out of those earthly relationships that spiritual longing that we have. Basically what I'm saying is there are times where we can trust human relationships value human relationships over our, earth, our heavenly relationship with God. And I want to say this this morning. When it comes to relationships as every other thing in our Christian life, it is important, it is vital that we always have the structure right. The first and most important relationship in any one of our lives. The first and most important connection that you and I ever make is that of Jesus Christ. There is no earthly relationship. No matter how good it may seem for a moment, no matter how fulfilling or satisfying it may seem for a season, there is no earthly relationship that is going to absolutely fulfill you in the way that the spiritual relationship with Christ can. All earthly relationships are temporal. Earthly relationships can be good. Earthly relationships can be beneficial, but they will never meet the need of your social spiritual structure that God placed within you. 
And the enemy wants us to go beyond and look past and look around a relationship with Jesus Christ and look to a relationship with the spouse or look to a relationship with other things or look to a relationship with friends before we look to that first and most vital of all relationships, which is the one with Jesus Christ. Let me remind you that when Adam and Eve had sinned, when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were ashamed. And they ran as God, they heard God's voice in the garden in the cool of the day. Again, God connecting with his creation. They hear him coming and they run and hide themselves in the trees. And God says those great words. Adam, where are you? You see, God was telling Adam and Eve, you're running from me, but I'm running to you. You see, God always knew where they were. If he is all-knowing, there's nothing hidden from his sight. He knew the tree that they were hiding behind because he's the one who put it there. There was no place that they could hide. God said, Adam, where are you? Because he wanted Adam to know that he was looking for him. He wanted to communicate to Adam. I want a relationship with you. Adam's sin has separated that. But I am seeking you out. And the good news is today. Jesus Christ is seeking you out. If you have never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've never come to faith in Christ. If you don't know right now. Where you stand with God for sure. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. When you come to the place in your life where you say, God, I've missed the mark. God, I've sinned. It only takes one sin to break that law of perfection. It only to, even though it only took one, we've committed more. And when we come to that place to say, God, I can't meet this need. I can't be whole anywhere else but through a personal relationship with you because you made me to know you. I pray this morning that you might say in your heart if there's any question on your soul today, you might say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that I have missed the mark of holiness. And I know, God, that I am incapable of saving myself. And today, God, I trust you to be my Savior and Lord. I thank you, God, that you are seeking me out. And if you're here today and you do know Christ, what are we doing to cultivate that relationship with Him? Is that relationship with Christ the first and most vital and most important relationship? Because husbands, let me tell you something. You want to be a better husband? You want to be a better husband to your wife? You know how to do it? It's to know Christ better. Because your role as a husband is, is based off of your relationship with Christ. My role to my wife is to love her just as Christ loved the church. Wives, you want to be a better wife? You know how to do it? Honor and reverence the Lord. Grow in your relationship with the Lord. The more you grow in your relationship with the Lord, the better you are able to manifest that love and reverence and honor to your husband. Every relationship we have in this life, everyone, everyone, falls, bases itself off of the pattern of our relationship to God. 
Do you know how I'm supposed to love you? Just as Christ loved the church. Do you know how I'm supposed to love my enemies? With the same forgiveness that He has forgiven me. It's all tied back to Him. If we're working on these relationships down here while neglecting that one, we're doing ourselves a tremendous disservice. How well are we connecting with our Creator? And secondly, how well are we connecting with other believers? Have we tried to live on a spiritual island, separated from others, not wanting to get involved, not wanting to connect? I believe it is not good for man to be alone. We have an opportunity to build relationships. There's, there, there are positive things that come from our connection with other people. So I pray today we would consider those two relationships. How am I connecting with God? And how am I connecting with other people? Father, I thank You that You placed within us a desire for community. I thank You, God, that You are a relational God. And that You want to know us. You delight in knowing us. You seek us out. And God, I know that there are many things in our day-to-day life that compete for allegiance with You. And I pray, God, that if we are focusing on other earthly relationships while neglecting our divine relationship with You, God, I pray that You would help us to restructure our life today. I pray, God, that You would help us put that emphasis back on our relationship with You. God, if there are some here today that do not know You as their Savior, that they would not take another breath without calling out on You to forgive them and this moment, this day, this very minute to be their Lord and Savior, to forgive them of their sins. God, if our relationship with others are lacking, if we have tried to do this spiritual journey on an island, God, I pray that You would help us to see the fallacy in that and that You would draw us into a communion with other believers that we may grow and be functional. In Jesus' name we pray.